All right, how we doing? Living room? You with us? Yes? A little bit? That was, man, what's happening? That was weak. You, you with us? How with Latricia right there? That was ridiculous. I had Shenhua like harmonizing in my ear over there. I was like, I'm getting Latricia and I'm getting Shenhua and it was, uh, I'm jealous for you. Because I hope it wasn't too much. It was awesome. It was, I needed more. It was not enough. So, uh, hey, uh, I'm excited about today. I've had today circled on my calendar for a while because this is one of my good friends, Shenhua Ha. Can y'all just make some noise for Shenhua right now? This is huge. Yes. Yes. Shenhua is a good friend, and um, I just think he has this really incredible story. And so, hey, thanks for coming up and uh, stepping way out of your comfort zone. Way out. Way out of it. Uh, way out of your comfort zone to talk to us today. Oh, thank um, you for I having think, me. Anytime. And so uh, just as we get started, we need the basics of Shenhua Hawk. So uh, where are you from, first off? Uh, originally, I was born and raised in New Jersey. Okay. The Garden oh, I thought State. somebody was going to cheer. Nobody. No. Anybody from New Jersey? <laughs> no Jersey anybody in Anybody from New Jersey? Oh, we got one. One? Whoa. Where, Philly? What? Philly? Oh, okay. New York? No. No. I'm trying to get somebody what, uh, close. What city in New Jersey? A little town called Pemberton, New Jersey. Do you know Pemberton, New Jersey? No. no. She didn't know. <laughs> Me neither. So I'm uh, sorry. It's, it's, uh, it's a little, little tiny place. All right. Well, so when did you, Pemberton, New Jersey, when did you move to Atlanta? I moved to Atlanta in 2006. 2006. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So uh, when, why did you come? What was the point of it? I would come here and perform in different places, and every time I came here, it just felt like home. And so it took me three years to do it, but I just, you know, I packed up my stuff and I came to Atlanta. Because you realize Atlanta's the place to be. Yes, it is. Yeah, it is. Oh, we got a couple of natives in here. I mean, it doesn't matter if you're native. I'm not not native. It is the place to be. I love love it here. Good. So when did you, this is the most important question, when did you start singing? I started singing, um, gosh, in front of people. Yeah, sure. Five years old. All right. Yeah. Well, you yeah. said you've been singing your whole life. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. I probably so, think uh, I came out of the womb. Yeah. Well, just singing. Humming a little song. Just a little tune. Do Sing. you uh, remember the first song that you sang in front of people? The first song that I sang in front of people actually um, was a Whitney Houston song. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was brave, right? Uh-huh. I was... As a five-year-old? Or? No, no, oh, okay. no, no, no. It's like, all right. Well. No. That was when I, I was, know what your mom was letting you listen to. Like, <laughs> no, that was when I was kind of, you know, okay. feeling myself a little bit. Okay, you know? yeah, 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 no, but in, at five in church, yeah. the first song I sang um, was a song called "Going Up Yonder." Okay. Yeah. Uh-oh, I don't. I don't. Oh, you know, you know that song. You know, I don't. I. Huh? I don't, a little. They want a little bit. They want a little bit. You want to? I don't know this song. You don't know this song. I don't know it. They, you want? You want a little? You want to? They want a little bit. They want a little bit. Yeah, they do. Yeah. You got a little bit. That was at age five. I mean, you know. You got a little bit. All right. Uh, Anybody ask you Uh where I'm going, where I'm going to? I don't know what the rest. I'm going up yonder. You know that? To be with the Oh man! Well, I think I'm. Gonna, I, I think I'm gonna pray, and we're done. Well, that's, <laughs> that's, that was it. I should have oh, practiced no. it. I didn't know you were gonna ask. They, that was impressive. That, you could sing. I'll give you, you want, money when you get done. All right. So, <laughs> over the last few weeks, we've been in the series. We're wrapping it up tonight, called Alcatraz, which mm-hmm. I think has been really cool. Okay. And uh, just basically, the idea of the series has been that there are things in life, things that happen to us in life, things we experience, things that become a part of our life that can feel like prisons, that can feel like these jail cells. 
And much like Alcatraz, uh, they were these things that feel, they're these things that feel inescapable. Like there is no freedom from it. But in reality, freedom is actually within grasp. Right. And a way out of that jail is, <clears throat> is attainable. And so, Shinwa, if you could just, uh, in a couple phrases, a couple sentences, can you tell us, like, sum up for you what is or what has been your Alcatraz? Gosh, I would say um, poor self-image, okay. um, low self-esteem, mm-hmm. and then finding myself in a body that weighed 500 pounds. That was my Alcatraz. Yeah. And yeah. so kind of the way that you were telling me a few weeks ago is, like, I had this self-image that then created a reality yeah. that really wasn't even true. Exactly. Like it wasn't even an actual reality. It was mm-hmm. false. But then I began to make it a reality. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's what it is. I, I, I saw this 500-pound reality in my head before it actually happened. Mm-hmm. And I believed it. I believed every negative thing you know, that people had to say about me and the things that I felt about myself. And eventually, it just manifested into yeah. this, this, this body that I felt trapped in. Yeah. So how does that begin to become a problem? Like, what are the triggers for that happening in the first place? I think it's, it started for me when I was a kid, you know, and I know this probably sounds weird to say because I'm, I'm, I'm a singer and that's what I do in front of people, but I was super duper shy mm. as a kid. You know, oh, yeah, oh, <laughs> yeah. I didn't talk, I didn't like to talk to people. I still don't like to talk too much, but, Do you like, but I didn't talk to anybody but my mother when I was a kid. So there were people who thought that I actually couldn't speak because she was the only one that I would talk to. And um, she would, you know, assure them, like, he's, he's okay. He's, 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 he's a normal kid. He just doesn't like shy. people. <laughs> just shy. A little shy. But that created some loneliness for me because it was hard for me to make friends because yeah. it, I was so shy. And um, so... Okay. So at some point you tackled the shyness, sort sure. of, because, I mean, you get out in front of people. Yeah, so. well, I had this desire to sing yeah. as a kid. That I, I feel like God placed in me because um, that was all I, all I ever wanted to do. So that gave me a voice. That gave me the, it opened the door for people to want to talk to me because they found out I can sing, and then they talked to me, and then it made it easier for me to talk to them. You know? Does that make yeah. sense? It does make sense. Mm-hmm. So you are shy. You realize that I can sing. I make friends because I can sing. Yeah. People are going to talk to me. Uh, mm-hmm. Where does identity kind of fall into that? Is that where you kind of found? Yeah, singing yeah. became my whole identity. You know, that was like my whole life. It was like, yeah. oh, yeah, that's the boy who can sing. Mm-hmm. He doesn't talk, but he sings. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And, um, yeah, that's, that, that gave me my voice to, to speak to people. Yeah. You know? And so that led you to uh, wanting to sing and wanting to, like, kind of go into the music sure. industry. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I wanted from a very, very early age to have a career in music. Mm-hmm. You know, I loved the way music made me feel and the way my favorite singers made me feel. And I wanted to make people feel that also. Yeah. So that was my intent um, for going into music as a career. Yeah. And you, know? you, you kind of told me, is like, I, that's what I wanted to do. I've always wanted to do mm-hmm. that. I've always wanted to sing, yep. always be in that. And I jump into the music industry. And you're oh, like, yeah. ultimately, uh, that ended up having a very, like, destructive uh, impact on me. So, like, I think a lot of us would love to know what about the music industry? Like, what happened? What's like, well, we want the behind the scenes a little bit, maybe. Okay. How does that end up becoming destructive? Like, how did that impact you? Well, the music industry is, is a, it's a beautiful thing on the outside, mm-hmm. really ugly on the inside, you know? And I went into this with the intention of, like I said, wanting to create something beautiful. I wanted to, to share my gift with the world. I wanted to make music that would, you know, move people and, and make them feel the, the good things that I felt when I listened to music, you know? And when I entered that world, I realized that 
it wasn't about the music at all. It was about all these things that I wasn't prepared to handle. You know, all the things that I struggled with, with the self-image, you know, and the low self-esteem, that's not what you want walking into the music industry. Because the first thing they judge you on is your appearance. <clears throat> and so for me, that was devastating, mm -hmm. you know, to walk in. And, that, and, and the first thing I'm judged on is how I look versus a talent, the thing that I came to give. Mm -hmm. you know? So you feel like... <clears throat> You kind of told me a story about some of these, but like oh. you feel like people are like, that's the first thing. Like before they even listen to you sing, are they mm -hmm. looking at how like? Oh yeah, before they heard me sing, you know, and even after they heard me sing, they said, oh yeah, you sound great, but you look like this, you know. Mm. You sweat too much when you sing. I was told I was unattractive. Um, I was told I was too fat. Um, any negative thing that you can think of, like these people actually told me these things to my face. So imagine if you're a person walking into this with, you know, you're already kind of feeling down about yourself and then you have someone actually confirming these negative thoughts that you've already had, you know, mm -hmm. just piling onto them. You know, imagine how that would make you feel, you yeah. know? And you had the one executive in particular too, right? Oh, you though? want me to tell them about that? Yeah. If you'd like. I'd... <laughs> okay, I'll, <laughs> I'll tell you. It's not funny, but, I, you know... I, it was just, I was so naive, like I just didn't understand the way things worked, you know? So I was this kid walking into these meetings with these presidents of these labels and this one particular lady, you know, she's like, oh, you sound good, but can you do something for me? And I'm like, okay, yeah, sure, stand up. So she made me stand up and I'm like, I don't know why she's making me stand up, but I'll stand up if that's gonna get me a record deal, I'll stand here all day. <laughs> I'll, <laughs> you know? do I'll do whatever. Like, hey, I'll stand, you know, yeah. what else you want me to do? Uh, and then she said, turn around for me. Wow. And I'm like, okay. So I turned around, and as I'm turning around, she's like looking me up and down. Looking at my body and, and making her, you know, opinion of what she thought I looked like and how I didn't fit with what she was trying to do. So that wow. was just, you know, just one of them. Just one of them? Mm -hmm. You feel like you had, like, multiple experiences like that along the there way? There a lot of experiences every... yeah. wow. with, with different people, you know? So how did that make you feel? It confirmed the negative things I've already, mm -hmm. already felt about myself. And I started on a path of self-medicating. Okay. Yeah, so how did you... So you kind of just answered it, but, like, how did you start to cope? Like, what were the things that you did to cope with? Oh, I ate. Ate? Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Y'all were supposed to laugh at that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I ate. I, I medicated myself with food, you know. Um, you name it, Krispy Kreme, you know, all the, all the good stuff. Yeah. What was the, like, go-to? McDonald's, McDonald's was, my, was, like, number one. Number one, yeah. yeah. All yeah. right. Even after all the videos that came out that showed, like, the food was fake, I didn't care. I was just like, I'm just going to keep, just gonna keep going. I'm still going to support my crew. You know what? And I, this yes. is, I'm gonna tell you this too. Like on. everybody on every shift, like at the McDonald's, they knew me. Like, oh wow, bad. I know they knew your name and everything. They knew me. Like yeah. they knew. They were like, oh hey, here you come. And they, you know, they knew my order already. Oh everything. man, everything. It's just, you know. Wow. Yeah. So when you ate McDonald's or ate, like yeah. you told me, it was like high fat, high carb, mm -hmm. sugar, high salt. Sugar. Yeah. yeah. Uh, like what was the result of that? Well, it became an addiction. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't see that coming. I thought it was just the thing that I enjoyed. I thought it was just the thing that made me feel better, you know, for a certain period of time. I didn't understand that I was, I was starting this, 
you know, this, this thing that was going to get out of control and this thing that I would, I would feel hopeless and um, just locked into. Yeah. So, like, what about it? Like, what about weight? What about eating as an addiction? Like, I don't know that we all recognize that that can even happen. Right. That, that food can become an addiction. Yeah. I mean, most people don't think about food being something you can be addicted to because it's something that we use for everything. Mm-hmm. You know, we celebrate with food. I mean, we just, you know, hey, you want to get together? What are you going to, okay, what are you going to bring to eat? You know, everything we do yeah. is, yeah, everything yeah. we do is surrounded yeah. with food and you need food to live. Yeah. So even if you're addicted to it, you can't avoid, avoid it. You have to have it because you'll die if you mm-hmm. don't eat. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so that's the thing that makes it different from any other addiction. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's not like, you know, you're going to show up, you know, to dinner and someone's going to have a big bowl of cocaine sitting on the table or something. I've never been to a dinner like that. I've never been to one either. Uh, yeah. But there will be some food there. There will be food. There will be food there, you know. Yeah. And, and so you have to, you know, kind of figure out how to navigate through those situations. Yeah, so... Is that, would you say that's like what made it feel like so inescapable? Like one that it's everywhere. Well, we make it okay. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, I'm sure some of you have a friend that's got a little extra meat on their bones, right? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I was the guy, I was everybody's, you know, big lovable friend. You know, it's like, oh, that's, 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 you know, that's big Mike over there. That's big Shinwa. That's big, you know. And, and, and it becomes this term, this endearment thing, you know, where people just know you're big and they just want to feed you, you know? <laughs> you know, you go home and the bigger you are, the bigger the plate is they make for you, you know? Yeah. And, um, and it's, it's, you know, we use food to show love. Mm-hmm. So why would you look at something that we use to show love as something that you can be addicted to? Yeah. You know? Yeah. So. You kind of explained it to me a little bit like a cycle. Right? Yes. And so this is a thing. We have this image right here we could walk through. Uh, this is the habit cycle. And this, if you're not familiar at all, this is how habits form, especially bad habits, but particularly addictions. This is how these kind of begin to form. So just at the very top, you have this thing like a hurt-based belief. And so, Shenhua, for you, tell me if I'm wrong, you say, well, uh, I have these feelings of loneliness. And I yeah. have these feelings of not being worthy, not right. being good enough. Um, mm-hmm. I have this image in my head that uh, I have created for myself. Right. right? And, and fear tends to play a role in that. Have you found that to be true? Absolutely. Yeah. Because the, the fear for me comes in, I think it does for anyone with any kind of addiction. I think one of your greatest fears is that someone will find out about it. Mm. You know, that's that one, that private thing that you keep, you know, hidden all for yourself. And you don't want anyone to know about it. Even though, for me, it shows up yeah. on my body. You can, you can see what's happening. But for me, you know, I was mm. afraid of that. Afraid of being found out. Yeah. Yeah. So from that, like those beliefs, these like hurtful based beliefs, uh, it leads to very impaired thinking. Mm-hmm. So that's where uh, a lot of where the self-image comes from is like, uh, this is who I am. I don't right. really like it about myself. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there's anything I can do, which it also <laughs> kind of leads us into the moments of maybe where you say like, uh, maybe I'll quit. Right. Maybe I can do this. Mm-hmm. But it also could be like, uh, maybe this is just who I am. Maybe there's no hope. Maybe I really can't escape from any of this. And all that ultimately leads to uh, the compulsive behavior. So for you, that's right. eating. Yeah. And, um, and then what's really not on the cycle but happens like kind of right here is uh, that for a little while, uh, you get strength yeah. from that behavior, right? Oh, yeah, because, you know, it, it's like, like I said, with anything you're addicted to, when you have that thing that you're addicted to, it makes you feel better for mm-hmm. a period of time, right? You know? And so when you feel better, you know, at least for me, it was like when I, when I ate something that made me feel better, I, I had the thought of like, okay, I'm done with this. I'm not going to do this to myself anymore. 
this is it. Yeah. Because I was strong. Yeah. But then eventually, when the feeling wore off and the anxiety mm-hmm. came back, it's like, oh, wow, I need to feed that thing again so I can feel better. And then the cycle starts. Yeah, exactly. Over again. Yeah, so you would say, like, strength comes to anguish. <clears throat> yeah. Like, it's a little bit of strength, and then you're like, ah, oh, I can't believe I just did that again. Yep. Feeling guilty. Yeah, feeling guilty. Um, it has despair and powerlessness on here. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely, I would say. Right. Would you say that powerlessness is part of your story? Completely. Yeah. Yep. And then eventually, like, it gets to where it's completely unmanageable. Mm-hmm. Like, there is nothing that I can do aside from I just need a really a good, like, kick start. And yeah. then the cycle just starts <clears throat> back over, and it mm-hmm. gets vicious right. over and over. Is that pretty oh, accurate? Yeah. To, yeah. It yeah. Just, I felt like it was never going to end. Mm-hmm. So at what point did you then begin to realize that, like, okay, this is a problem? One of the first times, I mean, there were several times throughout my life that I I started to kind of understand, like, hey, this is, I got an issue going on here. But um, one of the major times was me lying in a hospital bed. You know, blood pressure was out of control. Um, Heart was irregular. Just all kinds of stuff going on. And I was laying in the bed, and the nurse came in, and she weighed me in the bed. Like, they have these beds that they can actually just push a button and weigh you while you're laying in the bed. <clears throat> and so when she wrote down the number on the, on the chart, she said it out loud. She said 401 pounds. And I was devastated. I didn't say anything. I just laid there thinking, like, she can't be talking about me. I cannot be 401 pounds. This did not happen. How did I not see this coming? How did I, how did I even get here? And that was, that was just... Devastating for me. Yeah. So was that the like final kind of like okay now? No. 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 I needed to feel better. Mm-hmm. So I got to the hospital and I ate more and gained another hundred pounds. Wow. <laughs> On top, yeah. <laughs> right. Who does that, right? That's what you, you know. It's like you're already in the hospital. You're already having these issues, and you're gonna go and gain another hundred pounds. Like who? You know? Yeah. Who does that? So when then did you finally decide, I have to like, do something about this? Like, was there a point where there's like, kind of like that sort of catalyst for now's the time, mm-hmm. this is it? Is there, was there ever that moment? Yeah, 500 pounds will do that to you. I could imagine. Yeah. yeah. It'll, it'll, because see, at 400, I was still able to function. I was still able to, to carry on and travel and do, do my shows and, you know, but at 500, it was a different experience. Because at 500, I could barely stand on this stage and sing for you guys for more than 10 minutes without being in, in excruciating pain. You know, my legs and my back. Um, I could barely get dressed in the morning. Couldn't tie my shoes anymore, so I had to buy shoes that I could just slip on. You know, it's like I saw all of these parts of my life starting to die, you know, my career, I start, felt like I was starting to lose my mobility, and that had me at a crossroads. It was mm-hmm. like, okay, I can make a choice here. I can either choose to stay on this road and continue until I die, or I can make the decision to live. Hmm. Well, that's a powerful choice to be faced with. Yeah. Um, All the while, mm-hmm. running around this thing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So <clears throat> you told us so where you started... 500 pounds mm-hmm. is where you got. Yeah. What's the like, is that the biggest point? That is the biggest that I know of. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah. you, you've said that you have on record 
I have 490, yeah. I, the highest weight I have on record on the scale is 495 pounds. But mm-hmm. I know that I was bigger no, you're than that. a little bigger. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so then what's kind of the goal? But how, what are you doing mm-hmm. trying to kind of get there? Well, when I, when I found myself at that crossroad, I told you I had, to, I had to make a decision. And I had a trainer that I'd been working with on and off for years. And at one point, he told me he didn't want to work with me anymore. And he, he told me, he said, because you're, you're coming here, he said, but you're not getting any better. He said, so I don't want to run in circles with you. I don't want to train you anymore until you get some counseling and figure out what's going on with you. And so we took a little break. That was hard for me. Because, see, I was able to justify a lot of things because I was still working out with him. So I was like, hey, I'm working out, so if nothing's happening, it's probably his fault. (laughs) You know? But that kind of brought me back to reality. Like, no, it's not his fault. And so from there, um, we got back together and started working out again. And at 500 pounds, I couldn't fit into 90% of the equipment in the gym. So imagine that. You go into the gym and you can't even fit in the stuff that's in the gym, the stuff that's meant to help you lose weight. So I walk on the treadmill, and I'll never forget this day. I was, I was walking on the treadmill, and I had my little earbuds in. You know, I wasn't even going fast. You know, you can't go too fast at 500 pounds. I'm walking on the treadmill, and after about 15 minutes, I'm, I'm like smelling this burning smell. I'm like, what is this smell? I was like, well, something must be wrong with this one. So I got off that treadmill and got on the next one. I'm on there walking, and after a little while, I smelled that smell again. I'm like, hmm, they really need to work on these treadmills in this gym. Because <laughs> this is ridiculous. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I got on the third one. I walked a little while. Smelled the smell again. Then I was informed that I was over the weight limit for the treadmills, and that I was burning the motors out of them. Mm. Three of them. Three <laughs> treadmills. Three of them. So it's like, you know, I'm, I'm making light of it now, but, you know, that was very, you know, embarrassing. So not only, you know, people watching me as the trainer trying to fit me into the equipment in the gym, but now I'm, like, destroying equipment <laughs> that yeah. people are waiting in line to use. So I didn't want to go back there anymore. I didn't want to, to, be, to put myself in that position. And so I started to isolate myself more and more. But um, so anyway, so all of that was part of the factors that led me to the decision that I made um, when I was at this crossroads. And the decision that I made was to actually have a weight loss surgery. Based on that, based on my health, based on my history of addiction with food, I felt like that was what I needed to do. So I went and I had a procedure called vertical sleeve gastrectomy. And what that is, is they go in and remove 80% of your stomach and leave you with something shaped like a banana. They call it a vertical sleeve. So now when I eat, I can only eat four or five ounces of food at a time, like a little baby, well, toddler, (laughs) you know? And so what that did, Mm -hmm. um, am I talking too much? No. Oh, okay, all right. Y'all okay? Okay, all right, all right. But what that did, what making that decision, and and this is, the doctor even told my mother this. He said, said, this surgery is saving your son's life. So making that decision, what it it did was it allowed me to, and this was nine months ago I had this surgery, by the way. 
it allowed me to get myself, my weight down to a point where I could get back in the gym with my trainer. Now I can fit in all the equipment in there. I can do anything he's asking me to do. You know, I can work out as hard as I want to. And I actually enjoy it now. You know, I enjoy getting physically fit. And um, one of the things that I, I definitely want to explain to you about this surgery and that my doctor impressed on me was that it's not a magic trick. It's a tool. Just like the gym is a tool that you use and certain diets are a tool that you use. This, this thing is it's just a tool and you can regain weight with it, even though you have a small stomach if you don't do the right things. But for me, it helped me to get my weight to a manageable point so I could actually begin to do the physical work to change my body and change my health to change my life. Yeah, and you, you were telling me this earlier today, just a little bit about it. It's kind of like maybe the equivalent of maybe rehab yeah. type of thing for an that, addiction. That's, yeah. that's exactly what I, that's, I... I'm sorry, I forgot about that. You know, I, this, for me, that's what I call this surgery. This surgery was, was equivalent to me going into rehab. This was my rehab. Mm -hmm. I forced myself into submission because I could not get out of the cycle. I, couldn't, I could not, I just couldn't stop. And with anything, bless you. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> You know, with, with any addiction that, you know, if you go through rehab, there's a detox period. So having the surgery, five weeks prior to the surgery, I had to be on a liquid diet. Four weeks after, I had to continue that liquid diet. So the McDonald's was clearly out of my system <laughs> all the way, you know. But it allowed me to have a clear frame of mind and actually be able to think and make better decisions for myself because that chain of addiction had just been just snatched, just broken, just like that. You know? mm. so. All right, so 495 pounds, mm -hmm. give or take. Yeah. A little bit over 500 maybe. Yeah. Um, so far, mm -hmm. what have you lost? I've lost 135 pounds. All right, come on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then the goal... Is. The goal is I want to get down to, to 220. Okay. Um, so I got about another 140 pounds to lose. All right. Yeah. Yeah, I think we got a picture, uh, just the side by side, the start to, yeah, so here, yeah. we got the start here. Yeah. Um, to now. And, um, and then there's this next picture. This is really, I love this next picture. Uh, so you're hanging in the gym. Yeah. Hey, there's the gym. Yes. Y'all like this, my shoes? Look at those shoes. <laughs> but hey, what's the uh, significance of the... So, so check this out. These weights that I'm holding, they're 65 pounds each. Okay? I can barely hold them, but I wanted to take that picture holding those weights because they represented the amount of weight that I had already lost. You know? And so, so this is me in the gym. My trainer took this picture. He was so happy. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. That's incredible. And so it, just the last couple of questions here. Um, so as a worship leader, mm -hmm. like what kind of impact did this have on it? Like what, where did, what role did your faith play <laughs> in all of this? I, gosh, being a worship leader, I think actually made this a little tougher for me mm -hmm. because of that fear thing, that fear of being found out. It's like I'm on stage leading worship and I'm singing these songs about God, you know, about hope. And here I am with this, this secret of mine going on that no one knows about, that I hadn't talked about with anyone. So I felt like a fraud, hmm. you know? But when I look back on it, and I, and I even question God, like, why do you have me doing this? Why am I doing this? I'm not the person that should be leading anyone anywhere right now. But I realized when I look back through the years, I realized that when I became a worship leader, I came in super damaged, super broken. I came in believing a whole lot of lies about myself that weren't true. And all through those years, 
you know, God was peeling off those layers, peeling off those lies and, and replacing them with the truth. But what I kept doing, because I refused to believe the truth, is peeling the truth back off and putting the lies back on. So me and God were kind of having this tug of war all these years. And then one day, I was uh, at North Point Church, and I was singing the song, How He Loves. I know we just sung that song tonight. And that was the first time that I realized that God loved me as an individual. I knew he loved everybody, but I never thought about him actually loving me, just me. And I remember getting so emotional when I was singing that song, and that's when things started to change for me in my mind. That's when I started to, you know, peel away the layers, peel away the lies, like, oh, yeah, I'm not unlovable. I'm, I'm, I'm loved by the God that created everything and everyone that you see. How could I be unlovable? How could I not like God's creation? Because that's what I am. That's what you are. And so that was what started to, that's when things started to change for me in my mind. Wow. Yeah, and I was listening to you, and I was thinking about uh, just this in Romans right here. Um, Well, those are how he loves. But uh, (laughs) so it says, no, in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us yeah. from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. And that's saying that like, hey, there is no weight that you can gain. There is no drug that you can do. There is nothing that you can drink. Yeah. There is, you name it, no habit, no addiction, no thing, no thing that is truly inescapable. That's right. There is nothing yeah. that separates you from God, from the love of yeah. God. Thank you. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, that's the truth. And so, man, and I, I think that's so incredible that God was working that out through you yeah. while leading people yeah. closer to him. So yeah. it's, it's totally possible. And this is the thing. I was so focused on the problem. Mm-hmm. I wasn't even and questioning why God, why? Yeah. You know, that I didn't even see what he was doing yeah. all of these years. Yeah. You know? Yeah, so give us a break on stage. We're just a, we're a hot mess as well. We are a hot mess, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. so just as we just begin to wrap up a little bit here, uh, I would love for you to talk to just a couple of people Two separate groups of people in the room, okay? Okay. So the first one being is like, if you were in front of somebody, if there's somebody that's like, okay, I am stuck in Alcatraz right now. Mm -hmm. Like whether, maybe not wait, but any kind, whatever my Alcatraz is, what are the first things? Like what's the first thing that you maybe would say to them? The first thing that I would would say to you is that you, you need to have an honest conversation with yourself. Yeah, be true to yourself. You need to admit that there's a problem, there's something going on. Yeah. So, um... The second thing you told me is that after you do that, after you kind of have that honest conversation mm-hmm. with yourself, is that you, uh, you got to find somebody that you can trust. Yeah. Um, so tell me about that. Like, did you yeah, have to you, do that? You, it's tough walking around keeping secrets. It is. It, it, it creates a lot of weight for you that you don't need to carry. So if you, if you have someone in your life that you can trust, you know, talk to them about it. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a best friend that, you know, she's... She's the real deal, boy. She tells me to, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> get it together. You know, but I, yeah. but I, you know, and I told you a story. You know, she caught mm-hmm. me on stage one time, and, and, and I came off stage, and I thought, you know, I thought I had tore, tore it up, you know. <laughs> and she said, why were you pulling on your shirt the whole time you were performing? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> don't ask me that. I just thought I just did good. <laughs> and she said, do you think you're hiding something? 
She said, do you think we can't see what's underneath there? See, only a best friend will talk to you like that. That's true. <laughs> and tell you the truth. But from that moment on, I stopped pulling on my shirt. I stopped thinking about it. You know, I started, mm-hmm. you know. Anyway, so um, there yeah. you go. So you got to be true to yourself. You got to find somebody you can trust. Mm-hmm. And then the third thing you got to do is you got to take action. Yes. Right? You eventually have to do something about it. Yeah. After you talk to someone, you, you, you make your plan and you take action. You move forward. You know? So for me, it was admitting that I had this issue with food and admitting that this prison, this Alcatraz that I was living in, that I built it. I built that thing brick by brick, lie by lie. But because I built it, I also had the key to get out. And that was the thing that, you know, I had to remember. It's like, yeah, I, I built this thing, but I also, I have this key. And so now that I have this key, now I have to decide to use it, to open the door and walk away. Hmm. Wow. Okay, so the second group of people, I, some of us might be like, okay, I'm not, I'm not in Alcatraz right now. Mm-hmm. And... So even if that's the case, I think this is really great to just keep in the back of your mind because one day it might happen. Right. You uh, might be at McDonald's every day. Maybe. They all might know you. <laughs> I'm just but uh, the odds are, I think, that we all probably do know somebody. There is somebody in our kind of sphere of influence that mm-hmm. is dealing with that, it is in the middle of their own Alcatraz right now. So what would you say? Like, what's the first thing that you might say to somebody uh, if they're like, oh, yeah, I got a friend or I know somebody? I would say don't be afraid to, to talk to them, especially if there's someone that's close to you and you have that kind of relationship. Because there were people around me who were so concerned about me and worried about me, but they were so afraid to say anything because they were afraid that I was going to be offended or that my feelings would be hurt, you know? But I would rather for my feelings to be hurt a little bit if what you're telling me is going to save my life. <clears throat> so don't be afraid to, to talk to them. I mean, don't, you know go all up in their face like, yo, I know what you're doing. <laughs> Don't well, do it. <laughs> yeah, it helps. You got to have a relationship with yeah. them before that. You, yeah. know, you can't just walk up to somebody on the street and be like, hey, you right. got a problem, all right? Uh, that conversation is not going to go well. Right. Say, so. uh, but if you know them really well, if they're really close, like your best friend, right. like she had the ability, the influence to yeah. then mm-hmm. have that conversation. With oh, you. yeah. And if you have that with somebody and they have a problem, it, it's so important. I think that you Absolutely. find a way to have that conversation with them. And then after that, uh, you would say... Be loyal. Be, yeah, be trustworthy. Yeah, be trustworthy. Yeah. Like, don't take their pain and the thing that they're going through and use it as a source of gossip, you know? And if you're going to talk to someone else about it, talk to someone who's actually going to be of some help to them, some service to them, mm-hmm. and not just, you know, hey, did you hear, you know, Shenwa was, you know, at Krispy Kreme last week, you know? <laughs> Again, <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, you don't want to do that because if it comes back to that person and they find out about it, all they're going to do is shut down and get deeper into that prison. Yeah. All right. So you got to don't be afraid to talk. Be trustworthy. And then the third one, uh, originally we said be available and I forgot to change it because we changed our words. Uh, but this really what we wanted to say with this is uh, you got to point them in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah. If you're not the person that can, can you know, walk them through, bless you again, and, and handle that with them, then, you know, maybe help them find someone who can. You yeah. Know, just be a friend. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, those are our incredible action steps, I think. And, um, and just, we're going to wrap up here. But, Shinoa, number one, thank you. 
Uh, thanks for being a part of the living room. I mean, this is a family oh, here at TLR. Uh, we're all family members. <laughs> and uh, Shenhua, you uh, have been such a big part of it for so long. And, um, okay. and you know, I, if no one has ever said it to you, uh, we are so proud of you. Uh, Thank you. For being on this journey. <laughs> and, yes. Uh, Thank so, you. Man, I just think, I think it's so important in this series that we take it from just, it's just, just talk mm-hmm. to... Um, here's a guy who has been living in an Alcatraz right. who is doing something about it. And you're in the middle of that. We're not there yet. Yeah. We got some time. Story is still How can written. we follow along? Uh, you have an Instagram account. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, you can follow my journey on Instagram if you'd like. Um, the account is called Shakes with Shinwa. <laughs> it's my favorite Instagram ever. <laughs> I have two um, of them. One is just my name, Shinwa Hawk. So if that's easier for you to find, then you can find that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Shakes at Shakes with Shinwa. Yeah. You're posting about your journey all yeah. the time. Mm-hmm. Um, can you all make some noise for Shenwa one more time? <laughs> Thank you. Hey, we're, uh, we're going to sing one more song all right. to kind of wrap up our night, but I'm going to pray for us uh, first. Can we pray? God, thank you. Uh, God, thank you for loving us. And th- thank you so much that, um, that because of your love, because you have such a great love for us, that there is absolutely nothing that we can do that will ever uh, disqualify us from that love. There's nothing that we can do that will ever separate us from that. We cannot run far enough away uh, from your love, and that is so amazing. And God, thank you for Shinwa and his story. God, I just pray that you're with him uh, on this journey as he just seeks to be healthier and just seeks to be uh, the person that you've called him to be and that more people would hear his story and then decide, you know what, I can do something about Uh, the things in my life. I can do something about the prisons in my life, that there is freedom, there is hope, there is a way out, there is a way through the door of that jail cell. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.